0: Welcome back to Art's About.
1: Show sure about art that's a work of art in itself and properly named too, I would have thought.
0: Yes, of course it's properly named. We've got to have got it right after about six years. You are joining us here once again in the Bendigo Bank studios to listen to Art's About today with Sally, Mark, and Swanny and John and to bring you another week of the Art About Us. Also joining us in the studio today, along with the panel, is guest uh, Tracy Hutchison. Friend, journalist, broadcaster, and creative producer who's worked at the highest levels across Australian radio and TV, and also used to pre- present a program of her own here on Artable PFM called Wordy do Hood. Good The highlight night, of my career. The highlight of my career doing my weekly
2: show here at Artable P and highlight of definitely the highlight of, um, of, the highlight
1: of my career <laughs> being
2: back here at these magnificent studios, Bendigo Bank
0: Studio with all of you on Arts About. I'm yeah, it's a bit of a treat, isn't it? Very excited to be part of the Arts About team. Well thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. Tracy's going to introduce to us the life and passing of her great friend, musician, sports broadcaster and writer Damien Lovelock, among other things, who, among other things I should say, fronted the hard rock band The Celibate Rifles. That's later on in the show. We're also going to be talking with the Artistic Director and CEO of Fringe, Simon Abrahams, about that extraordinary festival inclusion and diversity about to erupt all over Melbourne in less than two weeks. John, what are you going to be on about Uh, this week?
1: Little bits and pieces of this and that. Not one thing.
0: Not one thing. A whole lot of
1: different things.
0: Oh, a cornucopia of things. Yeah. That's lovely. Okay, great. Uh, Mark?
3: Um, no art today. No, no art. No, no, for God's no. sake,
0: this is an art show. I know,
3: but dogs. I'm going to speak about dogs. dogs. Yeah, pets. well.
0: Oh, okay then. Mm,
3: crocodiles and things like that. Dogs okay. as pets or dogs as dogs? Both, John. No. Oh. Both. Very good. And a bit of Donald Trump.
0: Oh, okay Just then. for your
3: pleasure, sorry.
0: Really? Do you think I would be pleased about that You will when
3: you hear what I have to say.
0: <laughs> okay, that's terrific. <laughs> Now, also, in a stupendous moment of irony, it has been reported that Senator Pauline Hanson and vocal critic um, of the move of the traditional owners to close the climb up Uluru, which is effective on the 26th of October this year, defiantly attempted to scale it last week and found herself stuck up there, unable to proceed either way, and was required to bum-shuffle her way down, which was, uh-huh. pretty, I know it was pretty spectacular. If I
1: was that rock, I wouldn't let her up either. <laughs>
0: Solidarity. I've got a track here that she should have listened to a very long time ago. It's by the Goanna Band from their album, Spirit of Place, Solid Rock. September brings us the Melbourne Fringe Festival, supporting over 3,000 artists and presenting more than 450 work in over 170 venues across Melbourne. As creative director and CEO of the Fringe Festival, Simon Abrahams is an arts advocate, a programmer, a creative producer, performer, and cultural consultant. And he's on the line with us today to herald the imminent launch of Fringe, which is about to erupt all over Melbourne in less than two weeks. Good morning, Simon, and welcome back to Arts About.
4: Thanks, Sally. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you must be incredibly busy.
4: Oh, my pleasure.
0: Simon, for some of our listeners who may not have been or participated in Fringe how do you define it in a couple of sentences?
4: Well, Melbourne Fringe is the biggest multi-art form festival in Victoria and uh, it's an open access festival which means that anyone who wants to can participate. So it's the most democratic form uh, of art that there is. So it's across every possible art form you can imagine. I think we have 450 across theatre, dance, music, um, live art, visual art, circus, cabaret, you name it, we've got it.
0: It's incredible. It's a valuable asset to our cultural landscape and Fringe transforms the city with just about, as you say, every art form you can even imagine. You've been at it for, I think, five years now.
4: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: How much has changed and what's changed since you took over the mantle?
4: Oh, it feels really different in a really exciting way. Yeah. Um, well the biggest change probably this year is we've we've taken over trades hall um right in the centre of Melbourne as a as a hub um so there'll be hundred and three events so you know about a fifth of the festival will will take place at trades hall um which is the new kind of civic heart to the festival um. But, you know, right across the festival, there's been transformation, a lot of work around um, access and inclusion. So work um, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists, artists with disability or who are deaf, um, all sorts of kind of, um, I guess, more diversity across the whole festival and really playing with um, public art and the notion of, of democracy and saying, how can we make art accessible for everyone? So that's really been my driving Passion, I guess as we've kind of driven this festival over the last five years
0: as a participant myself several times over the last decade uh, the interface for artists is definitely getting smoother Um, the festival provides an incredibly supportive umbrella to enable and encourage artists to produce and present their shows. I, uh, this I think is one of the made like it's a huge huge asset for uh, emerging performers and also performers that are trying out new works and trying new things is this one of your core roles too do you think?
4: Absolutely I, for me I, I think of Fringe as a, as a safe space for the unsafe. It, it's about providing the kind of support to artists to take a risk and as you say sometimes they're artists who are really fresh and exciting and sometimes they're artists that be top of their game who were just trying something new and um, that's the thing that it does is it supports artists to take risks whether they're brand new or, or been around for a long time but it's definitely a place for you know edgy interesting new things um, as well as you know kind of discovering new artists um, it, Fringy is about Kind of discovery, I think, you know, new artists, new art forms, new spaces. We're in 172 spaces across the city. So you really will discover, you know, every possible, um, you know, gallery, room on top of a pub, you know, theatre venue, anything, you know, the spaces you didn't even know existed.
0: Uh, that's a great point, you know, that there are 170 venues. And as we talked about earlier, 455 shows, I think you said. That's How right, on yeah. earth. Does anybody come to Fringe and find their way through that, you know, that incredible miasma?
4: Uh, It's such a good question. I think um, I always recommend three things um, if people are new to Fringe. The first thing I recommend is pick up a program or download it or look on the website and try and find something that really sings out to you. It might be an artist that you've heard of or um, an image that really grabs you or a venue you've wanted to visit, you know, Um, and book one of those. Then I think have a little look and just pick something completely random, something that made you laugh or has an interesting title or is in a strange place, you know. Book one of those. Then I think do something free. About a third of the festival is free. There's parties, there's exhibitions, there's shows. There's all sorts of free things. And I think if you follow those three rules, you see something free, something random and, you know, something that really grabs your interest, you'll have a pretty good time.
0: (laughs) Oh, now I know you've just arrived back from visiting the Edinburgh Fringe. How does I the have, me- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, minutes ago? I think. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> how does Melbourne Fringe compare? Are we the same thing, or are we uh, are we are we named similarly but quite different? I, I don't know. Yeah, we're,
4: we're pretty different. Um, Edinburgh. So Melbourne Fringe has four hundred and fifty-five events. Edinburgh has two and a half thousand. Um, so the Whoa. scale of it is so massive. Mm. It is. It's like if you got you know the Melbourne Fringe, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the Melbourne Writers Festival, you know, Midsummer Festival, um, wrapped them all up together and probably still, you know, multiplied it by five. That's a bit what Edinburgh is. So Edinburgh is extraordinary because there's everything you can possibly imagine and it takes over the whole city and it's kind of amazing, but it's also, you know, it's pretty hard to navigate and it's hard to work out what on earth to see and there's so much competition, and as an artist, it's pretty hard going. It's pretty hard to, you know, make any money and and get audiences. So um, I've got lots of great things to say about Edinburgh. I love it. It's amazing. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty different it's a pretty different beast. It's a lot of comedy. Um, it's probably more akin to the comedy festival than it is to mm-hmm. Melbourne Fringe, probably. Um, but there are pockets of of interesting Fringe theatre in there still. Yeah.
0: So you've. you've Flown back into a bit of a controversy with one of the shows that you've had in your program uh, that has been pulled after an open letter uh, posted on liminal um, kind of accused uh, the show of being of, of creating almost you know yellow face it's it's brought up a really interesting um, dynamic I think in a way hasn't it that you know given that you're an open access festival and anybody is uh, has the opportunity to enter how does your role then as gatekeeper from that uh work how, how yes how do you navigate that
4: yes yeah, it's, it's complicated um you know in that case that the artist ultimately made made the decision um and so, you know, Melbourne Print is open access, which means that mm-hmm. anyone can register an event. So um, exactly as you say, there's a, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a pretty complicated, um, you know, space to be to be playing in. But, you know, we're absolutely advocates for um, both things. You know, we're an advocate for, um, for freedom of artistic expression and for um, open access, you know, that's all about kind of breaking down power structures and giving people a chance to express themselves. And we also we're also a believer absolutely in creating um safe spaces free you know from um sexism racism homophobia um all of those things so you know we we i guess try and navigate both of those things simultaneously
0: mm. do do you see that you're being uh, that, that you have a role as gatekeeper there or um or uh, it's because it's almost impossible for you to actually understand what's going on on all of those stages across melbourne
4: Absolutely. That's, that's, the, that's the kind of beauty and the frustration of open access is, exactly as you say, you, you, you can't control it and, you know, you don't want to control it, um, you know, so uh, that's that's what open access, you know, kind of of is, is people register their events and we haven't seen them or, um, you know, necessarily um, understood them and that's, uh, you know, that, that's what open access is but um, you know it provides a platform, and with that comes responsibility. So it's it's a pretty complicated matter, I think.
0: Yes. Now you are um, you mentioned earlier that your that your hub is now in Trades Hall. I understand yes. that Trades Hall is being opened as a permanent, year long venue. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, we're moving into Trades Hall for the festival for Fringe. There'll be um, about ten venues um running the smallest is about 35 seats and the biggest is about 350 um and then you're absolutely right year-round will be in there just with the one venue so it won't be a year-round festival it won't be on the kind of scale that you'll see um this september but there'll be a permanent space in there that's dedicated to supporting the independent arts so we're pretty exciting about that pretty excited about that
0: that's fantastic now um it is, of course, uh, all about encouraging rich tapestry of performance art um, at Fringe. The, uh, do you see any trends in the way that work has changed over the years?
4: I think it's become... Yeah, yes is the answer in lots of ways. One of the things is um, the kind of rise of autobiographical theatre, which is really interesting. People are really telling their, their own stories um, and sometimes in a really deeply confessional way Um, and sometimes, you know, very personal stories. Um, And sometimes they're taking stories of real trauma um, and turning them into evenings of entertainment, you know. So I'm interested in how people can find humour in, you know, the saddest things sometimes. Um, So there's definitely a a lot of heart in a lot of these kind of um, projects that I'm really seeing. And I guess I'm seeing... Um, artists become quite political and you know there's a a number of works about climate change for example this year which you know obviously is such an important issue that even a few years ago we weren't really seeing that much work being made about so I think people are really responding to the the times.
0: Mm. Yes well we're all we're all deeply in trauma and probably (laughs) need therapy about all the things that are going on I think.
4: (laughs) Totally totally and I think you know people make work about that and Mm. you know and then people want to come and see it because it's it's things they're worried about as well. So definitely seeing work that responds to, you know, what's happening right now. And that's one of the joys of Fringe, I think. You know, unlike the big theatre companies that, of course, it's just because of the nature of their size. It takes such a long time to commission work, to get it on stage. You know, those things take years. Whereas in Fringe, it's so fast-paced and moving and responsive that artists are really responding to things that are happening in the world right now.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful to see. And we're very, very lucky to have such a huge organisation in Melbourne that's been operating for so long, giving birth to uh, so many young artists and so many different viewpoints. Thank yeah, you very it
4: much. It feels, um, feels like an exciting time.
0: Uh, are, are you staying around for a few more years, Simon?
4: Yeah, I'm not going anywhere, I'm having a great time Plenty, <laughs> plenty still to
0: do <laughs> That's fantastic, well Fringe Festival Opens its doors to over 170 Venues across Melbourne on the 12th of September For a couple of weeks and Given that it all includes just about Every art form as and is a crucible Of sorts for emerging artists of all kinds We can be sure we'll all Find something that interests us in the Program and uh, thanks very much For talking to us today Simon Abrams and good Luck with another successful year and thanks for all the Hard and tireless work of you and your team.
4: Thanks, Sally. My absolute pleasure. Talk to you soon.
0: Bye. You're listening to Arts About on RPPFM with Sally Swan, Mark, and John. And I've been playing the sounds of the celibate rifles this morning. And that was their cover of Paddy Smith's Dancing Barefoot. And I played that today because we're going to be talking about Damien Lovelock with Tracy Hutchinson, um, who, who was a close friend of the multi talented Maverick who passed away earlier this month. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Great to be here, Sal. Yes. thank you for paying tribute to my friend Damien. Yeah, you're, well, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing a little bit more about him because I didn't actually realise what a multi-talented man he was until I looked into his life and read a little of his obituaries. I'd only ever thought about him as the uh, lead singer of the celibate rifles but there was a hell of a lot more to him wasn't there?
2: Yeah there was I mean he was um, he was he was as you say a multi-talented maverick um, made his name really in the 80s I guess as the lead singer of the rifles uh, and they were um, you know they were really hitting their straps at a time I was on the radio at Triple J then. I was Mm -hmm. an Australian music specialist, and that's really how Damien came into my orbit. I used to play them a lot on the radio, Uh, go and see them at night in what was then a very thriving um, live music scene in Sydney. And they were the kings, and Mm -hmm. they were very much seen as the heirs apparent to, to the oils. They'd sort of come out of the the late 70s um, Radio Birdman-esque kind of scene that that, um, that Sydney was harbouring at that time, um, influenced very much by the, that Detroit sound, the MC5 and the Stooges. Um, and Radio Birdman were a huge influence uh, in terms of shaping that sharp, bright guitar sound that Sydney was synonymous with at that time. And then kind of morphed sort of through the punk period into the early 80s when the rifles were sort of coming into their own and um, Um, were then also influenced by other bands like the Oils in particular, who were also uh, on the northern beaches of Sydney. And so they were seen as very much the sort of heir apparent to to the Oils. It didn't quite happen for them in that way. But certainly at that time in Sydney, they were, uh, you know, incredibly, um, yeah, just an omnipresence in lots of ways. You know, the Rifles, they were um, a huge band um, in that sort of scene, I guess. Uh, And and Damien out front was... was, um, was quite the charismatic lead singer
0: now they went to america i know and I, and I understand that they actually had uh were in seattle at that time when when grunge kind of took hold and they they were actually a part of that movement weren't they
2: yeah, I mean, the, the grunge thing probably was happening a little later. I mean, it was mm-hmm. kind of being influenced by certainly bands like The Scientists in, in Australia and, and, and The Rifles too. Um, and, and yeah, they did, they did tour and that was sort of the natural place. I think they felt that they were going to find an audience because they, they'd had that very, um, uh, American kind of guitar bright, that bright guitar sound um, and it didn't quite galvanise for them for all sorts of reasons I mean it's, it was an incredibly difficult thing to pull off at that time as a band in Australia to try and crack America and at that stage we really only had a handful of Australian bands that were doing that. There'd been, you know, men at work, um, uh, the oils in excess, but it, it was an incredibly difficult market to crack. Even the alternate market was still quite difficult to crack. And so um, they have a huge following as well in Europe and were doing incredibly well through Europe, um, but ultimately never quite sort of made it to that next level. Um, and so, you know, they really kind of had their, their golden period, during the 80s. Um, and Damien, I, I actually met Damien through the surf community in Sydney. Um, the Jays had a lot to do with the surf community, the surfing, the pro-surfing circuit, and Damien was going out with P- Barrich when I met him a former world number one um, women's mm. surfing champion. And Pam actually used the rifles as a backing band to record her only song, which was Pam and the Passion <laughs> Summertime all around the world. Great song, if you don't <laughs> know it. Um, and, you know, the rifles were the backing band. And, you know, Damien was always a guy who kind of had his ear and eye on on – you know, he was very hard to define. He'd, he'd sort of had a very interesting upbringing. His, his father, Bill, um, and his mum, Joan, were um, both composers. Um, his mum was a jazz singer. Bill was a composer who ended up writing a song called "Chilly Winds" for Nina Simone, um, which Damien later covered. Um, But Bill was also, you know, a TV producer. And when they came to Australia, Damien was born in England, but they came to Australia. Bill um, is credited with bringing um, "This Is Your Life" the format to Australia. So Damien sort of grew up in a kind of a TV media kind of landscape. So he was a he was a natural talent. So when you interviewed him on air, he wasn't the sort of monosyllabic monosyllabic Syllabic, um, lead singer. He was incredibly articulate and knew a lot about a lot and was very happy to tell you what he knew about a lot um, but was involved in a whole lot of um, things that were, I guess, um, unconventional in terms of, you know, issues at that time. So he was a very, uh, became a friend of Tibet. I mean, I remember him greeting the Dalai Lama on the Dalai Lama's first trip to Australia. Um, He became a yoga teacher, uh, ended up teaching yoga to the New South Wales rugby league team and the Australian Wallabies, Um, very unconventional and conventional yoga style, but everyone loved his yoga. But, but I guess in a more mainstream way, um, became a football commentator on SBS with Les Murray, and spoke at Les' Les's funeral um, when Les passed a few years ago. So, we had a ceremony over the weekend that I went up to Sydney for, and it was a, a good old-fashioned surfers pad, paddle out. So we all paddled out at Newport. Um, Nick Carroll, the the journalist and author. Tom's brother, Nick, led the paddle out and there was about 100 people who paddled out and we formed the Surfer's Circle and everyone told stories about Damien and then came inside to the um, Newport Surf Lifesaving Club and the, the legendary filmmaker, Jack McCoy, led the service inside and told stories and, and um, many people shared stories about Damien and, and Jack played a little bit of his film, The Green Iguana, which was an, another Damien Lovelock song. So Yes, <laughs> I nearly played that actually. Yeah, I found that in
4: the song,
0: isn't yeah. I? I went straight to that. It's such a great title.
2: Yeah, so he was, you know, larger than life, um, you know, lived a, a large life um, and, and sadly passed uh, to cancer um, a couple of weeks ago at the age of 65. But, um, yeah, and I think a, a 400-odd people turning out at Newport Surf Lifesaving Club is sort of testament to how many people's lives mm. he, tes- he, he touched and influenced.
1: I saw the rifles in Sydney did you? Yeah, uh, somewhere in Glebe on one wild night out in Sydney, uh, and from memory we had to, uh, we went to the rifles rather than the Saints, and uh, it was a difficult choice to make.
2: I have to yeah, think. I would That's have a own, been a tough yeah. one. But, yeah. but a very you know a vibrant time, they probably would have blown your head off, would they? Oh, I was
1: fabulous. yeah, <laughs> I loved it. but I was into things, I was into stuff, I was into the Ramones and yeah. uh, all of that And
2: stuff they yeah. came out of that sound, yeah. very much mm-hmm. influenced by that very bright guitar sort of yeah. punk rock kind of sound, and made it their own. So, yeah, it's a it's a great loss and um, but uh, you know, always great to sort of celebrate people. Uh, with and stories,
0: and uh, it's been truly wonderful to actually expand on that uh, that knowledge and you know there are so many people who are out there doing extraordinary things it's really great to learn a little bit more about one of them thank you so much for telling us a little bit about his wonderful life and so to give us a little taste of that sound you were just describing before and to remember his wonderful life here is the celibate rifles with wonderful life
1: oh thanks an ordinary boy that was great, wasn't it? The Rifles, mm. great to hear them again. I think we all were, well, a lot of us who were listening to Nick Cave around the same time yeah. were hoping that he might go in that direction, but alas, he went rather gothic, I think, and, you know.
0: Controversial? You yeah, so? yeah, 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 it is mm. fairly controversial, because I would have said I was very happy with where Nick Cave went.
1: Well, it's good, Yeah. but yeah. at the time we were hoping, or I personally
0: you personally was yeah.
1: opening for more of the stooges in Nick mm. you know um, I'm gonna mark yes John I want to talk a little bit about either art or things near art oh. little bits and pieces of information that might interest you mm. uh, one is that um, the Mona Lisa uh, has been there's been me re- more research done on the Mona Lisa and uh, they have found that uh, when he painted it uh, he applied some tiny little eyelashes, which over the years have been washed off by, uh, you know, by constant cleaning, and the eyelashes are gone. But there are remnants of pigment there to indicate that they were there originally, and are no longer there. So she no longer has eyelashes, and uh, I think uh, that the Paris Hilton of portraits has no longer got the London look swung <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? So the cleaning has removed it.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, possibly he hasn't got a mic today. Yeah, no, he, he can't say get, anything. Yeah, yeah. he would in. be
3: saying plenty about that, I'm sure, yeah. if he had a mic. Yeah. John, do you know that the um, he, he had the Mona Lisa with him until his last, till his dying days? He travelled everywhere, and this way it ended up in France because Francois the Premier took uh, gave him lodging, and he died at in um, in in. Francis Premier's Chateau and left the Mona Lisa too.
0: Really? He pra- travelled with it?
3: He, tra- he t- took that and the other one, the one with the uh, fur, there's one with the uh, I can't remember the name of it, there's a couple of them which He probably the took them out. all, the he only made 30 of them, them. Yes, and he was still working on it up until his last days on, right. the, on the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. But he he kept it because he didn't want to. It, it he did,
1: however, insane. get far enough to put the eyelashes on as, far as well. Well, I've know never know. heard this eyelash story. No, I've never heard on the eyelash on. story well, either. I you know, you, there you go.
0: Who? <laughs> okay. Who told you about the eyelash story?
1: I've been looking on the internet.
0: Oh, right. Has to be true. A
1: reliable source.
0: Yeah, (laughs) okay, that's good. Okay. (laughs) Do you know when you said it the first time, I thought you actually meant there were like 3D eyelashes. I thought that there was some, yeah.
3: They were stuck on or
0: something.
3: I thought the same thing.
0: Did you? Yes, maybe it was just the way you phrased it.
3: Well, they were painted on.
0: Obviously. Once you said pigment, I knew where we were going.
3: I wouldn't be surprised by Leonardo if you had put real eyelashes on well, he liked to get things right, didn't he? He did, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they found that
1: um, uh, there's a couple of elements, um, chemical elements, that uh, have been introduced into the world's atmosphere uh, as a result of nuclear um, explosions, and they were that weren't there previously. Mm-hmm. And what they found as a result of that is that uh, if you look at a painting. Uh, and investigate its chemical makeup. If those two elements are there, those two chemicals are there, uh, then it
0: is after
3: uh, the war.
1: It ha- has to have been made after nineteen forty-five. Right. And uh, so forgeries that uh, were made after 1945 and claimed to be from before can be outed pretty quickly. And oh. I just think that's fabulous. It I can,
0: is fabulous.
1: I can imagine Mr Oppenheimer setting that bomb off and going, take that art forgers.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, that's interesting. So, so you know what the ke- certain chemicals, animal- are? chemicals were created at that time. As a result of the been, explosion. It, yes. Mm. Because of the force. And they and saturated the, the earths. Hmm? The atmosphere,
1: yeah. 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 Well, so that'll be one to, of those. Layers. They have to be in the in the pigments. Yeah. Uh, because paintings that were made pre nineteen forty five will have those elements on the outside of them, perhaps. Yeah. But not within the pigment.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be one of those things that, in a million years' time, and they dig up the ice that's ultimately covering the earth. Once it's all dead, yeah. they will be able to go down and and perfectly date. Uh, when those bombs went off, hmm. if they ever wanted to.
1: <laughs> I read about uh, on the reliable internet the uh, fellow who um, took a photograph of himself and then made a photo-realist painting of the photograph, mm-hmm. and then he used the p- shrunk the painting down to passport photo size and used it as his own ID in a passport in America, and they accepted it, uh, not knowing that it was a painting thinking it was a photograph and so his ID is now uh, accompanied by a painting of himself rather than a photograph of himself.
0: Must have been a good one. Well I like
1: the subversive in Mm. that sort of thing. It must have been a good one yeah although they're not good photos.
0: (laughs) They're never good (laughs) photos are
1: they?
0: Well that's pretty extraordinary. Is
1: that it? Oh look that'll do. I reckon
3: Mark wants to talk about dogs you know. I know. You John, you don't realise it was International Dog Day on Monday the 26th. I don't realise
0: that. No, I
2: didn't know that. I knew that, Did that you? Too, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. Yes, so it's a very
3: important piece of information. Um, Did the dogs know? Well, if, if, if they were told, probably, mm. John. I'm sure there was a few uh, bone, extra bones given up. But uh, I just want to speak about a little bit about dogs, but about pets in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, let me bore you by giving you the Australian pet population in 2017, oh, yeah. of which there were 4.8 million dogs, yeah. 3.9 million cats and 4.2 million birds and uh, two redback spiders. <clears throat> Well, there'd be more than two redback spiders, There's not that many. People don't seem to like them that much. (laughs)
0: They're not great pets, let's face it.
3: But the word pet, I'll pour Mm -hmm. you some more, originated in Northern Britain and and originally meant lamb, or cutlet, if you like.
0: Oh, Oh, the meat. The meat.
3: Yes, the oldest known pet dog uh, evidence are the petrified 25,000-year-old tracks of a boy and his dog in bear caves at Chauvet in the Ardèche, discovered in 1994. Staying in France, Jacques Derrida said, the animal looks at us and we are naked before it. You know Jacques Derrida?
1: Yep. So how do they know that this boy and his dog, yeah. that it's not a boy walking past and the dog following him? You know? Well, wanting the dog him following him. him is a pet. You
3: no, know, he right? might have
0: been wanting to eat they him. Would, they
3: yeah. would say, John, that they You just, don't know together. that they went they past be together. together. If the dog was following him and wanted to kill right. him, he would have been yeah. eaten alive. Was, as there as any, as like, there. was there a collar laying around or anything? John, uh, moving on. <laughs> um, oh, just
0: before you do, are you moving away from pets now? No, no,
3: I've got a lot, got a lot to say about You've got more about pets, okay. Why? You to, you want well, to I was buddy. just listening
0: to uh, Philip Adams uh, being interviewed on Conversation Hour the other day, and he was talking about AI, and he has this wonderful idea that in the future we will just become, humans will be uh, artificial intelligence's pets. We mm. will just be kept as playthings for oh, Maybe we are already, we don't know
3: Inf- it. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, look, then there's the theory that Neanderthals died out because they didn't have dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, I before. think I've heard this You yeah, have heard right? that before. Yeah. I haven't but, heard it, but what? Well, they, they died out because we had dogs, and the dogs taught us how, how to live. But there
1: was... It was our, uh, there was also a bit of a, in, an interchange of bacteria. Oh, yeah. oh, really?
3: It's also like the Aboriginals say, they don't say it's a cold night, they say it was a ten-dog night or a five-dog night. Yeah. So there's this... Way of keeping people warm, keeping them healthy. Right. I Don't know. It's a it's a theory. Ten dogs is pretty extreme. That's a lot of dogs here. Yeah. <laughs> It'd but, be very but, cold. But <laughs> what yes. are their evolutionary purpose? This is the problem. Are mm-hmm. they there just to um, prou- just to accompany us as we proudly saunter down to the local cafe in Bayside, mm-hmm. or are they there to as an antidote to our exploitation of animals in general?
0: Or have in fact they tamed us and we're their pets?
3: That's also possible. Mm-hmm. Yes. No idea. Or Maybe they're just there to make us laugh, but some famous dogs. Uh, there's Cerebrus, the triple-headed dog of Hades. There's Anubis from Egypt, the she-wolf who nurtured Romulus and Remus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ulysses Argus, who was that, was just the most terrible story. Remember when he came home after 20 years, and there's all the suitors trying to get into the into Penelope's bed and she'd be working on her tapestry all day, and then all night she'd be undoing it, and she'd say, mm-hmm. I'll marry you when the tapestry's mm-hmm. finished. And the dog was waiting around. He waited 20 years, and then Ulysses arrived in, covered in scabs and looking like a beggar because he had to be, um, couldn't show himself. And the dog was the only one that recognized him mm-hmm. and wagged its tail and then dropped dead because Aww. he'd been waiting all this time. Like the and dog then he got out the tackle and box. And killed all the suitors and got Penelope, and off he went. So... That was uh, Argos, who was a lovely dog. And, and there's had, Lassie. Well, there's Lassie. There's Rin Tin Tin. Mm-hmm. There's, the tobo There's um, Heichiko, the Japanese dog that mm-hmm. um, waited for his um, his owner nine years at the local train station. They made a film of it with uh, Richard Gia. It was pretty bad. Um, but nine years he waited, and they built a statue for this dog because of his fidelity to the, 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 the his owner. Had died. Kelly, the super dog.
0: Kelly the Superdog, that's exactly right. It's also Kelly's <laughs> A super great dog. favorite one yes. that's about.
3: Um, according to Shelley, Byron kept in his house in Italy eight enormous dogs, three monkeys, five cats, an eagle, a crow, and a falcon. As a boy, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln <coughs> had a pet pig. <coughs> J.M. Turner used his painting Fishing Upon the Blythe Sand as a cat flap, John. No, <laughs> I <it> did <laughs> Emily Bronte said... Quite right, too. We cannot stand up under comparison with the dog, but the cat is extremely like us in disposition. That's Emily. Charles Dickens had three ravens, all called grip. But this is the best part, Sally. William Hogarth had a pug, which you can see in his wonderful uh, 1745 self-portrait, Hogarth's not the pugs, which was called Trump, an 18th-century slang for fart.
0: Brilliant.
3: <laughs> who knew that?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why, and why has it taken so long for that yeah. to come out? I know, I know,
3: I know. Here it is. And Donald here you Platt. heard it first
2: on Arts About. Yeah. That's fantastic. It seems an appropriate moment for to do a little shout out Sell to Holly the uh Holly the uh, Holly and, yes, Holly your, and the Dog and who, Blackie the Wonder Dog. Blackie the Wonder Dog. Uh, and a testament to how much we love our yes. uh, respective dogs. Um, Holly absolutely proved that I am absolutely her master. Because this morning, she uh, decided to <laughs> roll in something ghastly. Liquid penguin, Liquid it was. penguin. <laughs> and uh, that was indeed the way we started the day, wasn't They're it? They're vicious
1: so? little yes, bastards, those penguins.
2: Liquid. <laughs> this was a liquid, liquid penguin. penguin. Yeah. yeah so just think about that for a moment, what mm. that might mean with a, with a short-haired border collie involved.
1: Mm. I've always liked, Sally, your husband Will's story mm. about his dog, Goldie. Blondie. 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 Yes. And Blondie, who he, he had with him at a an Anzac march.
0: Oh, yes.
1: And Blondie took off and uh, was off somewhere running around. Will was looking for Blondie, and then he saw Blondie in the distance running across the acres of parkland accompanied by a golden retriever with a blind person's harness on it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. That wasn't good. <laughs> Yes, we don't ever know what happened to that poor blind person, but I I understand that Will, as a young man with that dog, disappeared very quickly. Right. (laughs) 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 He didn't find out, didn't wait to find out, no. That was lovely. Thank you. Yeah, that was a great, pleasure. Mark. Uh, is that it? Well, I have more if you Go want. Go on. Have we got time, Swanee?
3: What, more pets? Yeah, we got a
0: little well, bit no, of I, time.
3: Look, I've still been trying to talk about the inventions, the most famous inventions of yes, the last okay. right. And we started with fire, which yeah. yes. wasn't really an invention, and then we went on to the wheel, mm-hmm. yes, which was made for pottery in Sumerian 30... What, and somebody put it
0: up on its side and realised that it would... It took
3: them three centuries to turn it, put it onto a, ca- onto a carriage and to make it roll. The joke right.
1: behind that... That is that the Greeks invented the wheel and the Italians invented the other three.
3: Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, that's a big joke. It wasn't form. the Greeks, it was the Mesopotamians. Yeah. And the third most important invention was the nail. Oh, so, of yeah. course. nobody ever guesses. No, I I, the the iron
1: nail? They had tree nails, didn't they, for a long time? Wooden nails before they had iron nails. They had wooden
3: and then, and then iron, but handmade. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the um, Industrial Revolution, they made a uh, nail-making machine. So
2: which... then surely the fourth is the hammer? <laughs> You would <laughs> think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, yeah. I
3: think the hammer... Good point. No, the hammer existed for a long that, time before. Oh,
2: hammer predates, of hammer course. Hammer predates, would do, yep. yes, yeah. Yeah. of course. Would
3: been, they were using stones and rocks and things. to yeah. break things. But in the last yes. 1,000 years, yes. the most important, apparently, invention is the printing press. Yes, okay. Gutenberg's um,
2: printing press. The, sorry?
3: Gutenberg's printing, printing press. Gutenberg's printing press, yes. Yep. Which he um, he invented and then uh, lost lost everything. He had to sell sell out to his investor. Did he? he wasn't making, yep. He lost everything. Didn't get a penny. Wasn't until just just before he died that he was given recognition. No, no. Copyright for changing laws. the world. Wow. With his with his and when changing. they say lowercase and higher case, it means the lower is because of the metal um, uh, letters were put. The heavier ones were put down. in lowercase and right. lower case than the other ones put in the higher they case. Miss. That's it. More.
2: No We need to come back We need to revisit Gutenberg should have a show of his own Well I did
3: speak about Gutenberg About six months ago Oh I missed it I'll go back and listen No I wasn't listening You weren't listening Hark
0: Time for the news Melbourne Fringe opens in Melbourne on the 12th of September and there's going to be hundreds of shows across all genres, across the CBD and also in the SB, where Put Your Damn Phone Down is on as part of Fringe this September from the 16th of September. Go to Fringe for tickets.
1: Roger Kemp, visionary modernist, reveals never-before-publicly-exhibited works from Australian abstract artist Roger Kemp at the Ian Potter uh, headquarters and... uh, we haven't been yet, but we're going. I think we'll go this week, John. And, and as you know, know Sally, up. I worked mm-hmm. for Roger Kemp. I, I do
0: know man. that, yes. Yeah. You used to polish his glass or something, didn't no, you? No, that
1: was Len French. I used to mix <laughs> Roger with <laughs> Oh, paint.
0: that's right. <laughs> would... Yes, of course you did. Yes. And Mixing then then them up. We've
3: got the. we're going to this show as well, John. It's the first contemporary art gallery fo- focusing exclusively on female artists. As Are we allowed, allowed in? in? Well... Uh, one would hope so. The Finkelstein Gallery opened on the 29th of August. The privately funded gallery is a concept of art consultant, Lisa Fairley, who seems to know a bit about art, and will begin with representing a small group of 10 artists, one of whom is friend of the show, Lisa Rowett.
0: Lisa Rowett, yes. Yeah. She's the girl that does the incredible monkeys. The, you know, the big monkey <coughs> head that's at the chimpanzee head that's at McClelland? That's Lisa. Ah, yes, okay. And she does a lot of... Uh, uh, oh, and there's a big finger, I think, as well there, orangutan yeah, finger. I
1: was at a show of hers where she had the big bronze finger in the yeah. gallery and someone had bought it. I was talking to the fella who bought it. I said,
2: Fabulous artist.